G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Today my guest is Reverend Rex Rigby, who served as the National Superintendent of the Wesleyan Methodist Church since January 2012, becoming the first Indigenous Australian to lead a denomination. Welcome to the show, Rex. How are you? I'm doing pretty good, Matt. It's great to be here. Now, mate, tell us a bit about uh, your early life. Where were you born and raised? Well, I was born in Brisbane and grew up on the south side at a place called Holland Park. My family are from out west. The indigenous um, tribal group is the Bingable people. And what was life like for you as a young fella? Well, life was um, pretty difficult. When I was a child, every adult male was um, alcoholic, and there was a whole lot of issues in our family. Did you have a religious upbringing? Um, well, certainly I was sent along to church and um, encouraged to be involved in you know, Sunday school and things like that. So I started to learn some things about you know, what it meant to be a Christian. Mm. And tell me a bit about uh, the Aboriginal inland mission that you were involved in when you were 13. Well, I was invited to go along to that group, and they used to meet in a, um, Brisbane in the city at Ann Street. And uh, they used to just basically have a Sunday night uh, gospel-type meeting where they uh, shared about the Lord Jesus. And um, that was where I first started to understand what it meant to um, actually give my life to Christ. And then was there a big change in your life when you came to Christ? Um, There was, because the background that I grew up in, uh, life was difficult. I used to think that the old meatloaf song was a picture of my uh, life. Um, the title of the song was, My Life's a Lemon, I Want My Money Back. <laughs> and when I um, started to go to that uh, meeting in um, AM, I heard the preacher preach about um, hell. It was Eddie Free, who some may know. And he preached about hell. And I said to myself, if there's a place that's worse than earth, then there's no way that I want to go there. And so I gave my life to Christ. The good news is I found out that it wasn't just about being saved from, from hell, but it was actually having a relationship uh, with God and having a purpose for my life and that he uh, gave me the strength to be able to live and, and showed me a better way. So you were part of this group. Uh, I, loved, I loved the name uh, that uh, where you came to Christ, called the Joyful News Mission in Fortitude Valley. Uh, and I understand you later let, uh, met your wife there. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, the AIM Church uh, didn't have any like uh, youth work, and they sent me along to Joyful News Mission, which is what it was called in those days in Fortitude Valley. And I started to go along there when I was 13, started to um, you know, learn about uh, life and uh, what it meant to be a Christian. And um, I did meet my wife there. My wife is from uh, Vietnam. She came out by boat, uh, escaped from Vietnam, 
back in uh, 1979. Mm-hmm. And uh, she had to escape because her father was a, a colonel in the South Vietnamese Army. When the communists took over, they placed him in jail for over 12 years. And um, she needed to come out to try and support her family. Mm, so right. we got quite a little background between myself and my wife. And tell me about your early, early career. What did you do when you finished school? When I finished school, um, well, I did a number of jobs just shortly and then got an apprenticeship as a chef. And I started working in a place on top of the SGO building, uh, which is Suncorp building, on the 24th floor. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first day going in there and walking into the chef's office, and the chef said to me, I want to make a leader of you. And I kind of laughed and thought to myself, I thought he was going to teach me how to cook. But there was something that he said that stirred in my heart. I'm going to make a leader of you. Mm. Something that um, I knew that this is part of who, how God wired me. And I wanted to learn more. What a great story, mate. And tell me about the transition from being a chef to getting into ministry. Well, the transition was, you know, I guess I grew up in a church which always challenged us to about, you know, giving our lives fully to God and and using the resources and the gifts that he has given us uh, to serve. And um, so I was always looking for opportunities. But again, deep down inside, I felt and believed that God had called me um, uh, to the ministry. And um, I had the offer from one of the pastors at our church, the senior pastor. He said to me, "Um, how about you start as a student pastor in the church? And I guess I struggled with that thought at first. Um, And God had to confirm it to me. He confirmed it through the church by their vote. He confirmed it through a scripture that he uh, gave me um, for ministry, which is 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is, that Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to also lay down our lives for our brethren. And um, so... with that conviction, and also, you know, I spent a lot of prayer and praying, and God just confirmed to me that he had called me for this task, that this is what he had called me for. And, uh, Rex, tell us a bit about the church that you were working in uh, many years ago. Uh, well, it was that same church that I grew up in, and um, in Jorfin News, and it was a church uh, that was in the valley. It was a church that was meeting needs um, in the city there. Um, we had all different uh, sorts of people with... Uh, a lot of people on the streets, a lot of uh, difficult issues. Uh, I guess it was a training field for me to learn how to relate to those needs and to be compassionate about some of the struggles that people are having. And I guess coming from my Indigenous background, I'm very aware of some of the um, personal struggles that people have and some of the battles they have, whether it be with addiction or, or other abuses in their life. And how did you get involved in the Wesley Methodist Church? Well, I got. In, uh, it's. I tell some people the story that I came to church one day and the sign was changed. I was a teenager, so I didn't have a choice. But uh, what happened was the church ended up joining that mission, ended up joining the Wesleyan Methodist Church, and they were pretty closely aligned because they were. It was a church that um, held to the scriptures and wanted to live those scriptures out in our daily lives, wanted to impact the people around us, wanted to show God's love in practical ways as well. And so that foundation that I had as a, as a young teenager 
continued on even into ministry today. Well, I'm very thankful for the Wesley Methodist Church. I uh, attended a youth group in Coffs Harbour at the Wesley Methodist when I was a young fellow and uh, came to Christ at a, at a youth camp at the Wesley Methodist and, uh, and then became a youth leader and it really uh, started me out in ministry all those years ago and uh, really appreciate the, the ministry. I loved the, the focus with the Wesley Methodist Church on doing daily devotions, reading the Word of God every day. Uh, has that been something that's been foundational for you? Yes, it has been, to, um, to be feeding on the Word. And uh, we've only just been putting together 40 days of prayer and encouraging our people across the country to read together through selections of readings and to uh, pray together and to see God's um, faith and to ask the question, how does this apply to my life? And how can I impact the people around, around me? How can I live as Jesus wants me to live? Um, in my everyday life. And tell me about how, how many years uh, were you involved in uh, pastoring churches? Well, it's been probably about 23 years uh, actually pastoring churches. And my role now, which is part of that, was working as a district superintendent, part of that 23 years. And in the last um, uh, seven years, thereabouts or close to, I have been... Uh, working just as a district superintendent, and now in the last uh, over three years, I've been working as uh, the national super superintendent as well. And tell us, whereabouts were the churches that you pastored? I, firstly, in the one in the valley as a student pastor, and then moving to Melbourne and uh, planning a church in the southeast corner of um, Melbourne and working in the Belgrave, um, up in the Dandenongs of um um, out of south-eastern side of Melbourne. And then I moved from there to Rockhampton and spent about 14 years um, in Rockhampton. You've really travelled around a bit, and I understand now you're uh, studying uh, to do your doctorate. Tell us about that. Yeah, I'm, I'm studying uh, with Tabor and Adelaide, and the emphasis of my doctoral dissertation is really about the multicultural church or the multicultural community. Uh, we've been planning uh, different uh, congregations, whether it's Samoan, Burmese, Chinese, Tongan, and um, uh, other groups as well. Uh, and one of my passions is not just to have churches like that, but to have churches where there is a mixture of people and when we're doing this across cultural uh, ministry and, and really becoming more of a one community, even though we have our different cultural backgrounds, we're able to express them in, in different ways, but to be one community of believers. Uh, it's interesting to note that in the 2003 statistics, 23%, I think it was, uh, people were born outside of Australia. And in 2011, it was 27%. So I assume it's around 30%, or could be a third of the um, population of Australia were born outside of Australia. They're phenomenal figures. And yes, they come with a whole lot of problems of um, trying to blend the different cultures. But the opportunity for us to be able to, certainly as a church, to be able to come together, to come together under the teachings of Christ and to be able to encourage one another, support one another and lead each other along in the journey and learn from one another is a great opportunity that I'm working on to try and help our church to come to grips with. 
Now, mate, you've been around many Indigenous communities around Australia, and I know there's uh, often problems with alcohol. What are your thoughts on that? Yes, it is a a major problem in certain um, quarters of of our country, and I've visited some of those communities where there may not just be alcohol. It could be glue sniffing. It can be uh, drugs of other sorts as well. So it's still a problem. And it's not just a problem, I guess, in the Indigenous community. It's wherever you have people who are feeling incredibly lost and disenfranchised with society and feel a sense of hopelessness, uh, it is so tempting to look for something to, I guess, dull some of the pain and to take away some of that emptiness. The problem is that those things don't really take it away. They probably subdue it for a little bit and then they become part of a problem and an even bigger problem. So it is around. And I have seen people that have come out of those circumstances. It requires a lot of work. There's places that um, will give support. There's some Christian organisations that will give some support to uh, help people journey out of some of those addictions. And, mate, tell me about the uh, the issue of racism in, in Australia. There's been uh, lots of talk in the media about that recently. Uh, do, do you think Australians' attitude has changed to, to racism in the last couple of decades? or uh, and, and do you think we've still got a long way to go? Well, I think there's a couple of things with that. Yes, there has been racism in, in the past, and uh, there's still a lot of it around uh, today, and probably who that racism is directed Two, uh, changes um, in the journey of our society. In the past, there were certain groups that came from Europe that people uh, were racist towards. It could have been the Irish, it could have been the Italians, it could have been the Greeks. Um, and today, it might be uh, those that come from Arabic countries. Um, so it's still, unfortunately, it is still evident today. And um, people struggle with those that uh, are different than themselves, you know, if they eat different foods, if they dress differently. So it is unfortunately uh, still a part of our society that we um, need to address, that Mm -hmm. we uh, need to deal with. And uh, again, I I come back to, you know, the message of the gospel should be about love. It should be about um, reaching out to people who are different to us and, um, you know, even accepting them, even though they may... Um, head down a different path or uh, do things a little bit different than what we do. And, mate, before we go, I always like to ask our guests if you could share the gospel. Uh, in case there's people that have never heard before, tell us, what is the gospel and how do people respond to it? Well, the gospel, to me, I guess that that is really a, a, a big question in one sense. And for a theologian, that can be a lengthy question. But in simple terms for me, it is about a relationship. It's about a relationship with the one who created us. And, you know, in in our own strength, in our own ability, we couldn't turn ourselves around and get right before God. That there was a, a gap between us and God. There was this chasm between us and God that we just weren't good enough to reach God. But what God had done... He reached out to us by sending Jesus into the world to pay the price for for our sins that each one of us deserved to uh, die. However, what has taken place is Jesus died in our place because God loves us so much. He took our sins, all those things that we have done wrong, he took that upon himself, 
and he died in our place. And what we have to do is reach out and ask for his forgiveness, accept his forgiveness. And the moment we believe who he is, and the moment we accept that forgiveness that he's done and being willing to turn around and head down his path and to follow his teachings, that is the moment that God does something miraculous in our lives, something spiritual takes place that the Bible talks about, a rebirth. And a couple of things happen. One is a restoration with the relationship with God. And the other thing is that sometimes we overlook, but it should be a restoration with others as well. Our relationship with those around us should, should improve too because our, we look at our world today and there's so much separation. But the gospel message is about res restoration of a relationship with God firstly and then with others. Mate, that is wonderful to hear and uh, I truly uh, want to honour you as a, uh, uh, the first national superintendent uh, for the Wesleyan Methodist Church uh, from an Indigenous background and the first denominational leader in our nation from that background. I uh, really want to honour you and what you're doing and uh, uh, thank you for uh, your service to our nation and what you're doing. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Matt. Good to uh, talk to you. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. 